I remember it whenever I see the first ads for the fair. It's September. I'll be turning six in a few weeks. And for the first time, my parents have taken my sister and me to the Mountain State Fair. Sally is in the stroller, and I am walking next to my dad, holding his hand tightly but not too tight because I'm in kindergarten now, and I need to be brave and walk like a big kid, confident. We're walking through the rows of vendors, and my dad and I are playing I Spy, my favorite game. When suddenly I spy the most beautiful thing my almost six-year-old eyes have ever seen. It's a big, beautiful purple balloon with little gold stars all over it. It's the color of midnight. And the stars remind me of the ones that glow in the dark that are stuck to my ceiling in my bedroom. I have never wanted anything as badly as I did that balloon in my whole life. My parents agreed to buy this precious treasure, and I promised to hold on to it tightly, never to let it float away. Then we continue walking through the fair. I really wanted to see the animals, the sheep and goats, and I decided I needed to get closer, but I couldn't see very well, so I had to use both hands to climb up on top to put my hands on the railing to see a particularly precious little lamb. And then I realized what I had done. I needed both hands to climb up on that railing. And I looked up with stunned terror to see my beautiful balloon, the color of midnight with the little gold stars floating up over the tents and the rides way out of my reach and my dad's reach, floating off into the sunset. I wept. It was a meltdown of epic proportions. My little heart could not be consoled. Try as I might, I could not will this balloon back down to my hand. I promised I would tie it to my wrist to never let it float away again. There was nothing I could do but watch it get smaller and smaller as it rose higher and higher. And some of you know what that feeling feels like. That ache. You can't bring it back. We know it's not exactly like that. The sudden loss experienced by a child whose grip loosened Enough to let a balloon float high and away. But it's sort of like that. The feeling of being left too soon by someone we were just getting to know. By someone we weren't done loving and talking to and learning from. The ascension of Jesus is a moment of loss and transition for his disciples. They did not feel ready to be on their own without him. Even as it is a moment of glory and hope for Jesus, and also for the disciples, and also for us 
because it makes us look forward to the work God has prepared for us to do. The ascension of Jesus stretches us. Imagining the disciples reaching for the heaven-bound Jesus like Jesus floating away as if like a balloon. And it's uncomfortable, excruciating even, to long for something so out of reach, to graze but never grasp hold of that which you hope and believe will make everything all right for the thing you've wanted as badly as you've wanted anything in your whole life. But perhaps this stretched posture, this painstaking effort of reaching is what is required if our fingertips are ever to graze the reality of the living Christ and to take hold of the promised power of the Holy Spirit that is to come. No wonder, though, that Jesus had to open their minds. Because it's a hard thing to go from stretching to reaching to grasping to how do we live in this life? What do we need beyond a shadow of a doubt to sign up for the kind of life where the expectation is we will be witnesses to repentance, forgiveness of sins. That means we've got to talk about sin. All in the name of the Messiah who suffered and died and rose again. Beginning in the very place where all of that suffering and dying took place. No wonder Jesus had to open their minds to something more than what was just before them. The future of Jesus' mission and ministry depend on the disciples' minds being opened. He can't leave until their imagination is stoked and their minds opened to the impossible possibilities that he represents. A world shaped by repentance, forgiveness, and love. An incarnational God who lives and breathes, dies and rises. And the promise of power to help them continue that mission so that the kingdom of God becomes the people of God who receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit and witness to that spirit no matter where they are. As the Gospel of Luke tells it, with their minds open, their hearts willing, and their eyes forward, Jesus' disciples turn from the ascension event and go back toward their life together and their ministry. They are energized. They worship. They return to Jerusalem with great joy. The living Christ is now long out of reach, but they are ready to stretch, to question and to doubt, to learn and discover, to attend and to love. And I'll be totally honest, I love that ending best. It's nice. It's neat, it's clear, it's happily ever after. Almost like the disciples are kind of like a school of fish. They just go together to the next thing, together. There are no loose ends or unanswered questions or angelic messengers that appear and critique our actions. 
All of that's in Acts. But we need both stories today. We need to hear the nice, complete ending of Luke's gospel and the messy, chaotic, wondering, standing still, but how do we move forward beginning of the Acts of the Holy Spirit? We need both stories to truly locate ourselves and our own endings and beginnings on this journey of faith. Because truthfully, our reality is somewhere in between. Being joyfully ready to wait for further instructions and impatience over waiting and realizing how much we have to learn, unlearn, and relearn about how we are to be with God and each other. Now, though our minds may be opened, it's the 21st century after all. We know people don't rise and float away like balloons. We need to hear reminders to stop staring at an empty sky. Because I think it doesn't matter, these men are saying, so much about where Jesus goes as where it ma- what it matters where we go. We know where Jesus is going. The question is, where are we going? Where will we be in order to receive the promised spirit and the power that is coming? So with our minds opened to some new possibilities, our hearts must also be willing to be emptied of our personal desires for comfort and stability so that they can be filled by the Spirit who will empower us to be witnesses right where we are. This is the power that anointed Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, of preaching and living out the good news, of freedom, reconciliation, and forgiveness, talking about the perpetual year of God's favor, And it's that same power that Jesus promised would come to equip his disciples to continue that same work. Preach and live out good news. What does it look like to be free in Christ, to be reconciled in Christ, to be forgiven and loved and go love and forgive just like that? When we're willing to unzip our hearts even just a little bit, for that power to enter in. Watch out. Get ready. And be prepared for an adventure of a lifetime. But even if our minds are open and our hearts are willing, there's one more piece to this Ascension Day commissioning. Where are our eyes? Where's our gaze? Where are we looking? Are we still looking up, waiting for Jesus to come back and take care of everything so we can just ride the Spirit's skirt tail to peace and tranquility? Or are we going to actively look for ways to come together to worship, work, and witness to the power of repentance and forgiveness in our own lives as we wait for further instructions. 
with eyes forward. Our eyes are focused on the world around us and we return to the places where we live our lives. Because it's there, in the midst of community, in the midst of life where people are coming and going about their ordinary routines. That's where the spirit comes, rushing through the streets, crossing background and language, and organizing all of these followers into a new existence, where Acts describes all who believed were together. All of these folks had things in common. They would share and sell their possessions and goods, distribute the proceeds to all. Day by day, they spent time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. So while we wait on the threshold of something entirely new, here the messengers of God call all of us disciples, from Galilee to Hendersonville, to lower our gaze and look around. For there all are around us are people who still seek to be caught up in a new vision into the community of the risen Christ. There are people who still need and who are yearning to see love and justice and peace at work in people who are committed to being together who are devoted to coming together for prayer, who remember and retell what Jesus taught, and who are ready to move together as one unit or one body when the next thing comes along. So beloved people of God, may the call of Jesus to love and live in memory of me empower you to greet this space of waiting with a holy expectation for the Holy Spirit to show up. For it is the promised advocate who is on our side who also keeps us accountable to God's side. May God help us remember that the disciples came together and agreed they were on this Jesus way in it to tell the truth and live it for life, for good. And when they did that, they left us a model for how to wait. In prayer, in community, in relationship, and in story. Because this, this week ahead is a fear not kind of week. Yes, we have to wait. And we don't like to wait, most of us, maybe all of us. But fear not. The waiting. The Pentecost movement is coming. That is what we are waiting for. Together. In love, by love, and for love of each other, of our community, our country, and the ends of the earth. Amen.